Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. There has been a lot of conversation regarding how some of the issues managers for the UCP government have chosen to engage with the public, and there's certainly been no shortage of concerns raised. A little while back, we raised some concerns about a tweet that was put up by one of the Premier's issues manager, uh, Brian Bateson. And we were very fortunate that a person who has previously worked with the UCP government, who has significant uh, political background, who's run not only for nominations, but has also run for city councillor, uh, was willing to step up to the plate and provide his perspective uh, on not only this tweet in particular, but hopefully a little bit about sort of the communications strategy that the uh, the UCP government is using right now. So we're very, very fortunate and very grateful to be able to welcome uh, Payman Parsian to the program. Payman, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Nate. So to start with, let's, let's get right into the tweet. Um, so I'm pretty sure that you know the tweet that, that I'm talking about. I'll throw it up on the screen uh, after... Uh, so that our, our viewers who are, are watching can see it. But uh, I'll just read it out loud. And it basically, basically what the tweet was is it came out on Saturday uh, of last week. So that would have been November 28th, which is an important day for a lot of background reasons that we'll get into in a little bit. And basically what it was is the issues manager for the Premier, Brian Bates, had tweeted out, since it is hashtag small business Saturday, I thought it would be a great opportunity to support my local barbecue joint. Uh, thank you to all Alberta small businesses that make our communities vibrant and prosperous. Now to be clear, there's a couple of things that I need to sort of provide some context on before I, I get your take, uh, because I want to make sure that our listeners know at the very least where I'm coming from on it and, and what you're responding to. So uh, to be clear, this tweet in and of its own very much looks like support for a, a small business on a day for supporting small businesses. To be further clear, it's absolutely critical during the economic times that we're going through, particularly with COVID, that people do support small businesses as possible. And we've seen calls from all levels of government uh, to do that. Where I believe the tweet gets, let's go with problematic, is the fact that it doesn't name the business that uh, the Brian is supporting and there's an argument to or for that, which I can recognize because some people have suggested that because some small businesses who have been promoted by the UCP have suffered, he may have left that out in order to uh, try to protect them from potentially some backlash. Where it gets really problematic for me, though, is the fact that it's referencing a barbecue joint. And there's no question that there's no shortage of small businesses that, that Mr. Bateson could have uh, promoted or, or their products that he could have promoted. But while all of this is going on, there's this little situation unfolding in Ontario. And for our listeners who aren't familiar, 
basically the the short version of that is there are areas of Ontario that are currently under a massive lockdown. This is something that has garnered significant media attention. And I personally find it extremely difficult to believe that uh, Mr. Bateson would be unaware of this development as, as this story in particular has occupied a huge amount, perhaps an inappropriate amount, of media coverage on the national uh, stage. But the, the Coles notes of it is, is un, despite the fact that there's a lockdown, there's a business owner who has refused uh, to close his business and whose patrons have very enthusiastically supported that decision. Uh, the building was shut down. He was... Uh, issued some fines and told you cannot open the this this business we're under a lockdown this is a public health concern uh he was able to negotiate a deal where he was able to open part of it and then his customers promptly knocked down a wall so that he could get back into the other part of the business and reopen it so it's the 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 underscore of that story is we have an individual who's openly resisting lockdown measures uh, and openly resisting public health measures in order to prove some sort of a point about freedom. This story blew up big on Friday. So it's very difficult for me to look at the tweet from Mr. Bateson and not see this as a, a huge dog whistle. Um, and we've certainly seen uh, dog whistle and, and trolling style messages from issues managers and uh, some of the press secretaries. So all of that being said, that's my background. But I, this is where I'm going to throw it to you, uh, Payman. What's your take? OK, so on social media in general, I feel like people see what they want to see. Um, someone could take it away however they like based on their viewpoints, their biases, and that divisive political echo chamber that exists in social media either um, makes you think that he's being supportive of small business or makes you think that he's, uh, as you said it, uh, dog whistling because of the uh, Adamson barbecue in, in Ontario. I'm not Brian Bateson, so I don't know what he meant uh, in his tweet, but as a former restaurant owner, I could certainly appreciate I, I owned a barbecue restaurant, so I can appreciate when government supports those kinds of uh, businesses, especially when they're struggling to stay afloat. I stay in contact with my old partner and uh, he does tell me he's, he's really struggling. Um, uh, early on, earlier in the pandemic, a lot of restaurants uh, were doing okay with the takeout orders and the skip the dishes orders, but those have uh, faded away and restaurants are seriously struggling now, even those who were doing well in the beginning. Um, I, I see you're connecting his tweet to Addison, Adamson barbecue. I'm not sure if, you know, Ontario's approach was exactly data-driven based on uh, what's being uncovered now um, and the measures that I, a lot of businesses that you see that I've noticed in, in restaurants that they take to sanitize, to make sure staff are abiding by the rules um, has been phenomenal uh, here in Alberta. We've seen the data it doesn't show that restaurants are uh, a large source of uh, transmission. And even today, I think in Ontario, retailers, they voiced their opposition. Um, they pointed out that, again, the data doesn't reflect the measures that they've taken. So uh, I think there's a case to me made that uh, the people that are frustrated with the lockdowns going on in Ontario, um, they could be very well valid. At the same time, when there are rules in place by your democratically elected government, uh, you should abide by them. And that's what happened to the owner of Addison Barbecue. He was uh, subsequently arrested and uh, looks like he was charged. So I'm fine. That's what happens when you break the rules. 
So to be clear, uh, in in no way am, am I trying to advocate for all restaurants should be closed. Uh, I am I am not a public health expert. Uh, I'm, I'm not really an expert on on anything. Uh, but um, the the messaging around the measures that the Alberta government has taken has been. Um, Let's go with problematic, and I'll explain why I say that. Uh, so to start with, um, I agree that there's probably room for debate on, on how much, and we've certainly seen a lot of debate over the last, uh, last week or two uh, in regards to how much of the policy decisions that are made in regards to measures, public health measures, are informed by uh, political goals and how much of them are informed by pure scientific data. Uh, clearly, there's been a line that's been blurring since at the very least June, um, and that's just in our province. So I think that it would, I, to, to your point, I can see that there's reason to have that debate about other provinces as well. Um, that being said, uh, the the reality is we are living in a pandemic. Uh, we are in a situation where, particularly in Alberta, uh, our case numbers are per capita the worst in the country. Um, if, if you match them into Ontario, it's, it's horrifying how high our numbers are. We've learned from CBC News today that the government has actually reached out to the Red Cross as well as to the federal government to request uh, field hospitals because they're anticipating that there's going to be an inevitable overload to the system, which is something that, that many people have been discussing for quite some time. So when it comes to the, the public health rules... I think that the bottom line needs to be uh, that, as you said, the rules are the rules. And while we may not be able to look behind the curtain and know precisely how much of those rules are, are created by uh, pure data and how much is created by ideology, the, the bottom line is once it's a law, it's a law. Um, and the, this government has struggled to get a message consistently clearly in regards to how these rules are, are to be enforced. The, the fundamental issue that I have with this situation, though, is that either Mr. Bateson was completely unaware of this huge national news story surrounding COVID response in another province, which I have a really hard time with because some of his close friends have been actively covering it. Um, or he was aware of it and either didn't see that it was going to provoke the reaction that it did, or he did and he did it deliberately. So I have a really hard time wrapping my head around how there's, this tweet is representative of any kind of, of competent communications. Um, so without getting into the weeds on the other things, tell me if I'm completely wrong and how. Look, um, there, there is a problem with Twitter. Um, Twitter can suck somebody in into the toxicity and the anonymous trolling that goes on. Um, and unfortunately, even uh, press, sex, and issues managers can be guilty of uh, matching the messaging that they receive. Um, and, and that's not okay. And, and I'm sure that they're aware that there's always room for improvement. Um, but there are certainly mistakes made that way. Um, I think the UCP has a phenomenal story to tell um, and the tone can get caught up 
uh, in the fantasy of this uh, Twitter divisiveness, um, because the UCP was very open in their election platform. And so none of the items that are being proposed, none of the things that they're doing should come as a surprise to anybody. Um, and the way that they tell the story um, or their intentions could certainly be caught up in the rhetoric. So I think that's the problem with, with Twitter is, is that it, sometimes you can get sucked into that toxicity, right? And that's fine. I don't have a problem with, 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 with people getting sucked into the, the, the toxicity or the, or the gameplay. Lord knows that we do it. Um, it's, it's kind of our brand. Um, but the, the, the issue that I have with it and that I've seen a lot of people express, not just on Twitter, but on other social media uh, platforms and even in some media publications, is that if you're going to be an issues manager for the premier of the province, you have to be above that, particularly during a pandemic. I mean, the, we, we saw today the, uh, one of the organizers of the protest that occurred here on Saturday where there were several hundred people protesting the, the measures, the public health measures, including masking. Uh, he came out and said on his social media, and there's probably some manipulation at play there, but he came out and said that he believed that Mr. Kenny had endorsed uh, protests and he believed that they were okay. And I'm not saying that Mr. Kenny did, because to Mr. Kenny's credit, when he has spoken, he has been relatively clear about the fact that people need to follow the, the orders. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that we have somebody who's a, a, a representative of the premier, um, who's using that title in their Twitter bio, and either they're incapable of keeping themselves from falling into the, the swamp of Twitter toxicity, or they're deliberately choosing to engage in it. And the, the, where I sh really struggle with that is we know that people do look at that and they go, oh, it's not that bad. Uh, or or they, it, at the very least, it blurs the messaging. Um, do you have any of those concerns when we see some of these tweets? I mean, uh, Mr. Mr. Wolf put out one, I think it was yesterday, where he created his own meme. And I'm personally of the opinion that white men over 40 shouldn't make memes. Um, but uh, he made his own meme that was very uh, much trolling. Uh, and I would certainly argue not befitting his position. How, how, did, how did we get here? How do, how do we have people in these positions who believe that it's okay to operate as, as schoolyard bullies when they're representing the office of the premier? Look, I'm not spo the spokesperson for Matt, and I don't really know Matt very well. But I can say a lot of the tweets that people are reading, and they're really reading deep into these tweets, um, could come from a personal bias. I, I think the tweet that you're talking about in question is, uh, somebody calling Jason Kenney uh, a dictator and then asking for him to bring on more measurements. Is that the meme that we're that's, that's the meme that he created, yeah. Yeah, like depends on the your viewpoint. When you see that meme, uh, some people will be offended, some people will laugh, some people will just say, okay, it's another meme and carry on with their day. Um, it depends what you're on Twitter for. If you're there to um, engage in, you know, fighting or try to aggravate somebody, then then you'll you'll read into that and then you'll see that as him trying to offend somebody and then the argument carries on and this is where perhaps um, he could get sucked into the toxicity and whatnot i think there's a lot of good messaging that that the province could 
could focus on uh, instead of engaging with, uh, say, these anonymous trolls or, or making memes. But that's my approach, and I'm not the expert, clearly. So, because I went through your your Twitter timeline, and I, I, I mean, it's entirely possible that you may have have purged some things. I don't know, but I could not find any examples during the time that you were acting as a press secretary for the minister uh, that you were acting as a press secretary for, where you tweeted out any memes. Did I miss any? Uh, I don't recall um, tweeting any memes, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't generally engage in, in tweeting memes. It's not my personality. Um, if it's really funny or something that I really would like my followers to see, then I might, but I don't generally. It's not it's not what I do. Do you think it's befitting the office of somebody who's representing the premier? I, think, I don't think that's my, my call to make. I think it's up to the premier to decide whether uh, his issues management or whoever uh, is representing him is doing a good job in the direction that he wants. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not asking you to like issue a, a ruling. Um, I'm, I'm asking for your personal opinion. When, when you look at the tweets, like the one that Mr. Bateson put out, like the one that Matt Wolf put out, or even the one that Matt Wolf put out where he compared the Black Lives Matter movement to the anti-mask movement, um, which if I'm at my most generous, was a, a poorly thought out and clumsy metaphor. Um, e- even if we even if we provide that, the the fact that these are coming from accounts that speak for the premier, uh, I'm 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 curious how like w- you, do you feel good as an Albertan seeing those tweets coming out? Well, it certainly doesn't. Uh hurt the government from my perspective to see a, a tweet comparing that. I think it's a, it's a very comparable tweet to, to compare two protests where people feel that their civil liberties are infringed upon and they want to voice their concerns with the government. Like, I think people are reading too deep and putting their own emotional uh, decision-making into uh, an objective point of view. I think people should be able to protest on behalf of Black Lives Matter, just as they should be able to protest against wearing masks Although both are extremely irresponsible during a pandemic, um, they can do irreparable harm. And frankly, there's a better time to do it. But uh, yeah, I, th- I don't think anyone should be in a position to write off civil liberties that people feel are being infringed upon. But that's, that's where the fundamental thing uh, falls apart. There are no laws currently on the books in Alberta that restrict... Uh, and I'm not in any way saying that systemic racism doesn't exist because absolutely it does. I don't, we shouldn't have to talk about that. Um, but there are no laws on the books that explicitly infringe on the freedoms of, uh, BIPOC people. So when you're talking about a systemic cultural issue that people are protesting, that to me is very, very different than uh, people protesting laws and public health measures that the government uh, has has deemed necessary in order to prevent major loss of life. To, to try to make any kind of an equivalency between those two is, is not only a profoundly flawed metaphor, but it's... It's profoundly inflammatory. Well, we'd have to certainly disagree. I, I feel like both are civil issues. They're different civil issues, but they're both civil liberties that people feel passionate about. They're sensitive issues, and I think that they should both be heard. Um, as you know, 
every. So I'm going to I'm going to jump in there. Would you would you endorse the protests that occurred on Saturday? I don't endorse any protest during a pandemic in, in public anyway, or where people gather together in a pandemic of this kind. Okay, so there's right out of the gates, there's a difference there, because when the Black Lives Matter protests happened, there were not the same restrictions that we're seeing, um, certainly at a provincial level uh, and in many places at a municipal level. So there's there's an important distinction that I think we have to make there. Certainly, we were in a pandemic. And I think proportionately looking, a lot more people came out to um, those civil protests in the summer than did at the anti-mask protests. So I don't want to get into like uh, comparing the two because th- it's hard to compare the two issues, but they're both civil issues. People felt passionate about, they felt like they should go out. And I don't think, like I said, I'm a small government kind of guy, uh, even s- much smaller government than, than the current UCP government uh, type of person. And so I don't think government should infringe on people's rights to be able to protest. Uh, it should be a very extreme situation as is the law in Canada. Like you to, to breach civil liberties, you have to do uh, what's called the Oaks test, uh, the two-part test, uh, and the second part, the three subtests require that you prove that is minimal impairment on people's civil uh, liberties, not, not just justify that it's required, but you have to show that the law that you're introducing minimally impairs that. Um, so, and that, that's where, uh, you know, what comes into play when you're making those judgment calls and, and the legislation changes. And that's uh, that's that's an argument that that could go one way or the other. I, I would certainly be willing to argue as as somebody who does wear a mask often for profoundly as everyone should, because yeah. it's not like that's not a hill to die on for people who are liberty. Love I love freedom. I like small government, but I'll wear my mask. It's not going to kill me. Maybe it'll help somebody. I mean, the most vulnerable in COVID. This is what really drives me nuts and, and seriously angers me. The most vulnerable people are the elderly. These are the people that built the schools and the roads and the society that we love and cherish so much. The people that fought in the war so Canada can be a free country are the people that are dying of COVID right now. And if it really insignificantly bothers you to wear a mask, then stay home. Like, that's it. Just stay home. That's it. Your groceries can be delivered to you. You can do online banking. You can have every one of your services that you want to need delivered to your door or curbside pickup. You don't need to meet anybody. You can protest on your own on your computer on Twitter over a video. And I, I, I agree with everything you just said there, for the record. Um, but sorry, I have well, like I'm very passionate. Like it, it drives me nuts. There's older people in danger, and we need to take care of them. Like that's our most vulnerable. Here's a part that I, I would criticize the UCP for: is long-term care. Like, why don't we turn these places into kind of like industrial camps where workers are two weeks on, two weeks off? You live in the facility, no big deal. But at least you don't have that transmission coming in and out, similar to the mini NHL bubble we had. I would. I would have pushed for something like that. Um, I mean, they're doing a lot of good things too, right? Handing out 50 million masks. No jurisdiction, I don't think, in the world has done that. So this is a very pro-mask government um, handing those things out. Testing in Alberta is among the top in the world. U.S. keeps bragging about being such a good testing country. We have almost... Well, I'm going to... It was. Well, the we, last month's been a little rocky. Per capita. Um, yeah. U.S. conducted, I think... Uh, 80 million tests, Alberta's done 2.4 million tests, just running based on proportion uh, of our population. We're two and a half times ahead of them and they're bragging. We came in early, streamlined AHS and CBSA at the airport to make sure people had the messaging that was just clear, uh, self-isolation for 14 days, those coming out. 
Uh, and I think Jason Kenney was being called a racist and a bigot at the time for doing that. Uh, and an NDP staffer actually posted some kind of meme about him in, in an internal group and people were trying to target him for this. Uh, but that has proven to help Alberta. Contact tracing, we've tried to stay ahead of the curve most of the time. Uh, we have been ahead. Yes, BC has crept ahead, uh, sorry, creeped ahead by one week right now, but we're on on uh, on route to get 1,600 total contact tracers, the absolute highest in the country. Um, op- we were able to open schools with uh, minimizing cases and school transmission. Uh, so there's a lot of good stuff that they've done, but I think long-term care and, and protecting the vulnerable to the maximum of our ability has, has been uh, dropped for sure. I'm, I'm going to bring you back to one of the things that you mentioned in there. Uh, you talked about the quality of messaging around the, the airports. Um, yeah. And I agree wholeheartedly that the quality of messaging and the quality of communication when in a major incident is absolutely critical. I mean, you, you come from a law enforcement background. I'm sure you've been on, on, in situations where uh, had the communication been less than what it was, the end outcome could have been considerably less uh, and, and could have been considerably worse, which is why this stuff bugs me so much because they are literally either through negligence or incompetence or deliberate will, they are undermining the quality of their own communication. And I don't see any way around that. Like when we look at the, the, the Matt Wolf tweets, when we look at the, the Brian Bates and barbecue tweets for, for Brian Bates. And like I said earlier, for Brian Bateson to tweet that out the, the day after that story blew up huge on national media is either incompetent or willfully ignorant. And when we're at a time where one of the biggest problems that we have, and, and I, I believe Mr. Kenny has even addressed this himself, is the amount of misinformation and misleading information and inaccurate information that is being disseminated through social media platforms for any member of the government, particularly a member of the communications team or multiple members of the communications team, to put any kind of, of poison in the communications well is to me profoundly dangerous because it emboldens those people who are looking to this government for signals, as we saw with the, the Facebook post from the, the gentleman from Calgary, which they are, it, puts, it emboldens those people and it puts further people at risk. Because the reality is, is if you take a look at the vast majority of the people who are attending those anti-mask protests, they are not frontline workers who are working in nursing homes. They're, they're not people who have massive amounts of comorbidities. They're not the people who are going to be the, receiving the worst outcomes should they contract COVID. But they are people who are resisting every public health measure that this government is is taking. And I'm glad that this government is taking some public health measures. Personally, I wish they took a lot more, but I'm just the host of a podcast. So, um, but like, I, I, I can't get past the fact that we're talking about two of the highest paid people in government who weren't elected. They were appointed. We're talking about two of the people that many people look at 
for leadership. And even the, the most appalling thing to me, quite frankly, and this is, I would love to get your personal take, given that you aren't speaking for the UCP or anything like that. Mr. Kenny has done nothing to curb these. Are you looking for my opinion on that now? Yeah. Okay, so look, you have to take into consideration social media's audience and uh, who's on there. Many of these, um, say, inflammatory tweets, as, as you call them, there might be nothing to lose uh, from the communications perspective um, of one you know, given party when they put out a tweet like that and more for them to gain. So they have to make those decisions when they make such tweets. So you have to consider this. It comes from all political parties throughout Canada and in the U.S. Um, and so I didn't get this deep into the political uh, rhetoric, online rhetoric, if you want to call it that. So I, I don't know why or you know what the purpose of, of making something like that or, or making inflammatory remarks, but there could be something for them to gain by rallying their opposition and then their own members would rally against the opposition. Like, I, I don't know these tactics. I'm not familiar but, with them. But even but, if that's the case. Yeah, but, but, I, but I do want to make a point that many of the tweets that you would find inflammatory, um, I don't see as inflammatory. Like that, that dictator meme. I, I thought that was more comical. I just kind of scrolled through it and carried on my day. Or the protests. I think you obviously took it a little bit more uh, offensive to see it, uh, a BLM protest compared to anti-mask protests, where I, I saw the logical argument of, of civil liberties, and I didn't really look at the specific issues. Um, obviously, there are two different issues. But that's, that's literally how systemic racism works. Yeah, I mean... I mean, that's what, that's what enables it. If we don't take a step back and examine the words, I mean, I did a podcast, uh, just a couple of days ago with Kathleen Smith, uh, and I, I used the, and it's, it's not a systemic racism, but it's certainly, uh, a, a piece similar to it. I use the term ladies. Uh, I've been using the term ladies since I was a kid because that's what I was raised to, 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 to call women. Uh, it's a, it's a term of respect. I've, I've, I'm learning and I'm, that for a lot of people, that word carries a whole lot of weight. And I believe that because I'm choosing to put myself somewhat in the public eye, it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm not uh, furthering mechanisms that allow people to experience any kind of oppression. And I would argue that somebody who's pulling down $200,000 a year representing the Premier of Alberta has the same responsibility to scrutinize their words and their thoughts that they're putting out in public to do the same. Well, if you recall, I think if you look at how many issues managers there was in the previous government and their pay, they were not only higher paid, there were more issues managers. So, I mean... It doesn't make it okay for just because the previous government made a mistake for current government to make a similar mistake. But um, my point is that the issues manager role is to represent the premier in the direction that he wants it to. Or okay, so that exactly, exactly. And so so if, if that's the direction and, and the premier is happy with what's going on, then that's the only question that, that somebody should be answering. And if people have a problem with it, um, they're either welcome to voice their opinions or again, uh, vote when uh, election time comes. But people didn't vote for Matt Wolf or Brian Bateson. 
No, but when you vote for a politician, generally you vote for the values that they represent and the people that they hire generally represent the values that they represent. So that your option I would, the ballot is to vote for the policies that the politicians represent and those policies are generally reflected by people who support those policies. I've gone through the UCP platform though and, and to the UCP's credit, um, they have done an incredibly effective job of implementing what they campaigned on. Um, but I, I remember very clearly one of the promises that Mr. Kenny made was that he was going to restore decorum. None of these tweets are representative of that. Can you agree with that? Um, I can't. I didn't read all of Matt's and Brian Bateson's tweets. So I... Okay, well, let's just, let's just talk about these two. Are they restoring decorum? Which two are you referring to? Are you talking about the barbecue one and... I'm talking about the barbecue one and I'm talking about the meme. Yeah, I, I, I saw the barbecue tweet as um, Brian Bateson supporting local restaurants. I, I, I didn't see him connecting to Adamson until you mentioned it. Um, and I think before we even talked, and even, I thought you guys were going to connect it to the protests, to the anti-mask protests somehow. And I thought I didn't catch the connection there either. No. Which meme from Matt Wolf, sorry? Uh, the, the meme about the calls Kenny a dictator, then calls for lockdown. Is that restoring decorum? Um, I don't know if it's restoring decorum, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a valid point. Like so People are asking Jason Kenny to go into a full lockdown and then calling him a dictator. And so, yeah, there's a, certainly a hypocrisy there. And if he feels like the right way to put that message out is by making a meme that's uh, his privy to do so. It's up to the voters to decide whether that's the right decision or not. But I, I got to challenge you on that again, because I, as, as, as the, the host of this show uh, and, and the, the, the team that work on this show, we, um, we have a lot of latitude in regards to how we choose to convey our message. And I will agree that there's often different ways to convey messages. There's no question about that. We're the show that uses puppets sometimes. And that's okay for us to do because we're a small time podcast. We have not promised that we would uh, not behave in a satirical way. In fact, that's part of what we say we do. Um, despite the fact that we wade into some heavier waters as we are today. <laughs> um, but, but we do make jokes. We do use satire. That is, that is our jam. Um, but when we're talking about government officials who are working for a government that promised to return decorum to the legislature, for those same government officials to resort to memes using pictures that are historically known as the, the triggered leftist picture... I have a very hard time seeing how anybody can tie that to that campaign promise. And that's, that's where I, I struggle with all of this because it seems like, to me, Jason Kenney and the UCP campaigned on the idea that they were going to, re, in part, restore decorum. And we've seen a lot of, of theater now, if that's how this government's going to do things sometimes, that's their choice. And as you said, it's, it's ultimately the leader who's going to uh, endorse the, the behavior or not by keeping these people on staff or not. Um, 
But I think that if this government is going to go down that road, they owe Albertans the honesty to say, you know what, these two guys over here, sometimes we're just going to pay them to be dicks. And that's what their job is going to be. So if you see messaging from these two guys, sometimes it's serious and, and you should listen to that. But sometimes we're just paying them to piss people off. And it's up to you to figure out when that is. And I think just using that example, that sort of highlights the problem of having government officials using these methods whether or not they, they agitate the NDP and they score some points there. Fundamentally, my concern goes back to they're poisoning the communications well during a time where communication, clear communication from what the government expects from Albertans is so critical. Yeah, look, if you want communication from the government that comes uh, straight from the government, then you look at the sources that come straight from government as far as you know, the press releases and the news and, 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 and sorry, the announcements that that um, are sent out by the government um, or the um, updates that are done, for example, by the chief medical medical officer of health. Looking through Twitter for an issues manager who's dealing with hundreds of messages of anonymous trolls, uh, I don't think that's the right source to look for government's messaging. And frankly, um, Twitter isn't an accurate poll of the demographics of this province. If, sure. If we were looking at Twitter in the last election, the Alberta party would have had a massive majority in uh, Alberta with uh, the NDP as the official opposition and UCP might have had five MLAs uh, tops, but it's not a reality. And, and so if you're looking for the messaging, most people are going to look to the government announcements, press releases, the news on the government website, not Matt Twitter's, uh, or sorry, Matt, Matt Wolf's Twitter account. Uh, he, he could also have a fun personality where he's trying to be satirical and, and have a laugh. Like, like, But he doesn't get to be. Pardon me? He doesn't get to be. He's, 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 he's the executive issues manager for the premier of Alberta. He doesn't get to be, particularly when his government had promised to restore decorum. That's, that's my beef. If, if, if it had been the, where I struggle is that, and I, I'll, I'll hold the, the NDP to account on this as well, I can't hold the Alberta Party to account for anything because they don't do anything anymore. But for, for the NDP and the UCP, there, there is this adversarial communications game of chess that seems to happen. And if it was normal times, I would have far less concern. Um, but... You know, you look, you look at, at, at who are the people who liked Mr. Bateson's barbecue tweet. There's four press secretaries for this government that liked that tweet. And this government has made it clear through their own messaging that liking a tweet equals endorsing the message. Yeah, I mean, look, but, but Twitter isn't going to be a representative of what people are expecting of their government. Like, Liking a tweet isn't representative of Albertans and what Albertans are happy with and what they're not happy with. I think um, the polls are the only way that you know if people are happy with how the current government's handling the situation or not. Do, do you want to talk about the polling data? I <laughs> mean, do you want to talk about the most recent polling data? Because 30% isn't a great number. You know, I think that shows that speaks highly of the character of the premier. And why I say that is because 
for him to be down that much in the polls, it means he's not only lost the um, temporary support of people who wouldn't support him anyway, but he's also losing the support of his own supporters, which means he's putting in place policies that don't benefit him politically. And so hats off to the premier for making decisions that's obviously not in his own um, electable, you know, uh, best interest, which means that he's making decisions that are um, driven by data, not by political ideology. So, so that's that's a huge point to remember. And and Alberta, rightfully so. Like we we were down before the pandemic. Uh, energy prices were very far down, whether we liked it or not. Alberta is an energy province at this time, and so the pandemic was absolutely catastrophic uh, for Alberta's economy. Our people, people lost their jobs. They're anxious. They're uncertain. So of course the leader is going to take uh, a bit of heat from that too. But I. I... I struggle with that he's making these decisions from a database perspective because with the recent revelations that we saw with the CBC article and whether or not the leak should have happened in the way that happened, that's a separate debate entirely. But what those uh, recordings revealed was that uh, the government was not relying on health data to make all of its decisions and that there was significant frustration coming from the people who were making those making medical data based decisions and having the government hear that look this um, so this is a super good question and and it's i'm sure one that many people have but this province isn't only medical like we have to remember like there are other costs to having lockdowns or not having lockdowns um and and that's why i commend the government in taking a balanced approach it might not have been the approach i would have personally taken but well, it's not working. The, the outcome of these decisions, they're not binary. They're more like a butterfly effect. And so every decision that they make regarding a lockdown has effects down the road. Um, there's no winning solution, I think. There's just trade-offs and what we're willing to trade off. Like, I, I think the government did a great job in considering the massive you know, um, increase in, in opioid overdoses that have happened. If you compare year over year, like we have hundreds of, of new opioid overdoses this year after uh, the pandemic started than comparable to years previous. We have a massive increase in violent crimes. So these are costs that we have to consider. Um, I think they took a balanced approach that they believe is best. Um, the recordings also show that their um, decisions are based on data. You said it's based on data that's not just medical. Well, I, I certainly hope a province that's we're not a hospital. Like we're a province running of people that live here and work here and want to raise their families here. So you have to consider a lot of aspects other than just medical. Of course, medical being the largest aspect. So the, the two sort of points that I want to throw back to you on that. First of all, in regards to the opioid crisis, I think that it's extremely problematic to isolate COVID as the primary precipitating factor for the increase in opioid deaths, given that the approach that this government has taken towards managing uh, addiction and opioid abuse. The, there's the, the evidence from addiction specialists, the evidence from uh, the, that we've gotten from the supervised consumption sites is overwhelming that they save lives. And, okay, and those and have not, been... I'm not debating whether the, the, the safe 
um, consumption sites are effective or not. The data is very clear on this. On the opioid overdoses, immediately in quarter two, which would have been when the pandemic would have started, the opioid deaths doubled. And they were steady for the last three years in 2017, 18, and 19 reporting data. And the 2020 first quarter numbers reciprocated that. And so the quarter two data showing that number doubling uh, by 190, if I'm not mistaken, people um, is certainly concerning and could almost be completely attributed to uh, COVID-19. I got I to gotta disagree there because there's an expression about correlation and causation sure. that I think is particularly relevant here. Um, as much as I... I personally believe, it's just my opinion, that this, the, the messaging and the decisions that this government has made in regards to managing addiction have had a, a significant impact on that. I'm not going to sit here and say, and COVID had nothing to do with it. I think it's a, it's a complex, multifaceted problem. But I have a, I, I have a real challenge when people say, oh, the, the, the opioid overdoses went up because of the COVID. Uh, it's hard to say. It's not a black and white issue and nothing ever is. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very good point, but I, I would, my dollar would be that COVID had the largest factor to play in um, the reason for the increases in overdoses, certainly. Okay. That would be my, my personal guess. I'm not an expert. I, I couldn't tell you the causation, but correlation is certainly there. Okay. Well, I think we can disagree, agree to disagree on that one. Um, the, Going back, though, to the, the idea of um, these decisions being made, having to balance the economy uh, and having to, to balance, as you put it, the other things that we're willing to sacrifice. Um, there have been multiple leading economists who have come out and who have said, effectively, our economy is sick. It has a disease. That disease is called COVID-19. Until we deal with that disease, our economy will not be getting any better. And I, I there's, believe me, I, I see the effects of not only COVID, but the effects of the economic downturn over the last two or three years. I want nothing more than Alberta's economy to get going again uh, and for, for people to not have to deal with the kind of hardship that they're dealing with. But when we have experts saying the economy will not recover until we deal with COVID, I, I have a very difficult time reconciling people who want to soft pedal an approach to in, in the name of the economy. I mean, if, if, if to me, it's the equivalent of we know that there are things that will impact the spread of COVID-19. Masks is one. Uh, lockdowns are effective. We know that. Now, they have all kinds of unintended consequences, some of which we're aware of, some of which we're not aware of. But we know that that it has an impact because we've seen it work in other countries around the world. Um, to me, I look at the measured approach that this government is is using and it appears the the metaphor that i would use because i use way too many of those is if i find if if your doctor finds out that that you have an infection and they know that the cure is an antibiotic that's going to kick your ass for two days and then you're going to be feeling better 
if that doctor then decides, well, I really don't want to have him feel crappy for two days. That's going to suck a lot for him. So I'm going to try to give him a much smaller dose over a much longer period of time and see if that works. And the way that that works is we get super bugs. So if we know that there are measures that are effective in, in dealing with COVID and, and mitigating the spread of COVID, I, I have a very difficult time given that we know that the economy will not recover until COVID is dealt with. Full stop. Well, look, if we go into full lockdown, like complete lockdown, we shut down the economy completely. Sure. And, and so... You have to make a decision as to what is the cost of shutting down our economy down the road a year, two years from now, will we see more damage from shutting down the economy entirely than um, trying to take a balanced approach? I don't know that answer. I don't have access to the data that these guys do and decisions that they make. For me to just start guessing and, and suggesting what would be best, we should shut down the province for four weeks, regardless, not less, not more, and say we're going to stop this virus, would just be guessing games because I don't have access to what the government has access to. And and believe me when I tell you, um, whether you agree with Jason Kenney or not, whether you agree with the ministers and, and the staff that are in the legislature, these are phenomenal, hardworking people that genuinely want the best for our province. And... Um, I hope nothing but success for them because their success means our success, just as I hope for nothing but success for our prime minister because it means success for our country. Um, I may differ in my policies, my point of view, and I'll show that on the ballot um, or how I choose to donate or campaign. But generally, our elected officials are sincere, good people who have the best intention for the province. I think Rachel Notley, when she was premier, she had the best intentions for Alberta. I didn't agree with her ideas. Um, not all of them, certainly, and and uh, I I voiced my opposition, you know, with my money and with my time and with my ballot. I think people should try to work with the government in unity and pay attention, listen, and you know, take direction from the government to slow this down rather than propose their own ideology. The the NDP MLAs they could do a way better job of working with the government to you know. I haven't seen them discouraging in-home gatherings um, as much as I've seen, say, the UCP MLAs. Um, uh, I hope Rod Loyola, today he announced that he uh, got COVID-19. I hope him and his boys recover very, very quickly. Um, I think you'll see many ministers of the current UCP government uh, retweeting that on Twitter today, making sure that he feels um, you know, safe and cared for because we are all Albertans first, and then we have our whatever we want to identify as, as far as political lines. Um, and so promoting unity will go way further in place of trying to discredit the government at every attempt and trying to undermine the government and the public trust in what the government's doing. I, to be clear, I do not want to see the government fail. Um, that's, that's, no one does. No, I, 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 I would I would love to see I would love nothing more than to see this government manage this crisis in a way that uh, ends it quickly, because while we may not know what the economic costs, the long term economic ramifications are, I don't think any politician gets at you to crystal ball when they take their their oath in the legislature. Um, We do know what the cost will be if we don't get it under control. And that's simply people are going to die. 
Uh, and, and, and I think that's reciprocated today in, in the news. Um, I don't know whether the reported news today is, is um, in fact, happening or not. It's, it's the first time I'm hearing about it. But you're saying uh, the government has asked, the, the Alberta government has asked the federal government, and uh, you mentioned the Red Cross? Yes. And uh, Matt Wolf has confirmed that as well. Yeah. And so... So that's great. We're all Canadians as well. Like we need to work together and make sure that we handle this crisis. Yes, Alberta's in a bit of a mess with COVID-19 and it's time for everybody to put their politics and their ideology aside and make sure that we, we address this virus in the best way uh, possible based on the data being made by the people we picked to make those decisions on our behalf. Okay, I can agree with you on that. Um, I do have to, to make one, one little point here because I'm that guy. Um, you commented on the, the fact that you've seen people wishing um, Rod Loyola uh, the best wishes over Twitter. As everybody should. I guess Twitter messaging does matter. Well, you see, to me, right, the things that I, uh, I'm talking about on here are things that... Uh, you know, I have opinions about, and I thought it was important and uh, that that people showed across partisan lines that we're all Albertans, we all care for each other, and we all want to see uh, the whole province get to, the whole country and the world to get through this as quickly as possible. I, I totally agree with you, and, and I'm not trying to be petty. I'm just trying to underscore the point that the the messaging, both the messaging and the medium very much do. do I'm a political, matter. right? So I, I don't, my friends, when I talk to them about Twitter, they're on a different universe. They don't even know what I'm talking about. So we, we politicals, people who are interested in politics, people who are involved in politics, they're going to pay attention to Twitter and, and you know, the relevant hashtags. And so, you know, that's why I, I see it and it matters to me. But average Joe, if you run into somebody at a superstore or a gym and ask them if they saw what happened on Twitter today, they will say, what? Yeah, no, I, I understand that part. To, to me, the depend when you're talking about different social media platforms, they're very much used by different people for different reasons. But going to the, the, the Twitter piece, and this is one of the reasons why the, the Twitter messaging to me is, is far more important than, say, Instagram. Uh, is because that is where the most engaged people go. That is where the, the people who are looking to have their political opinions validated or challenged or depending on the individual, but that's where the engaged people go. And so if you're going to be careful on, on any platform, to me, uh, it, would have to be, it would have to be Twitter because that's where it's going to, to receive the most scrutiny and that's where it's going to be received by the, the most engaged of, of people. And that sort of brings me back to, to my frustration with the messaging that we're, we're, we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, I don't like Twitter. It brings out this side of people that's almost like they, they're looking for a fight. They're looking to challenge um, a, a wise person I, I was close to in politics uh, once said, Twitter is hell, Instagram is heaven, and Facebook somewhere in the middle. Um, no, <laughs> I would argue. And, and, and I, would, I would refer anyone to some of the comments that Mr. Kenny received on, on some of his latest live streams. Facebook is so much worse than Twitter. <laughs> and it could be. I mean, a lot of politicians are subject to a lot of bad messaging and, and uh, it shouldn't be that way, but this um, screen 
and the anonymity that comes behind uh, some of these accounts. I don't know how or why it unleashes people to just be this, it brings out this evil inside them. I, I don't know. I don't know why they would do that or if why how it helps somebody sleep better at night by bashing somebody. Yeah, I, I don't. I one of the things that I try to adhere to to the best of my abilities on on the Twitter machine, and we we're we're pretty careful about this, with the exception of of Matt Wolf, because I don't like him. Um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> I don't know if you've picked up on that at all, but I I, I just think that he's 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 hurting Al. Alberta and he needs to stop. Um, I met him just, just so you know, like I, I did briefly meet the guy and, and he was very nice uh, t- to me. I got a great impression from him. I don't know him very well, but uh, the real world is important. I suggest one day when you have an opportunity to meet him, I think he's a, uh, the impression I had was, was far different than you're describing. Anyway. I would, I would, I would, I would meet well, Matt Wolf. I would, I would do that just to, just in, to challenge my own confirmation bias. Um, but, uh, to, to me, and this is, this is, I think one of the, the fundamental lessons that I wish the people who are doing communications for this government would understand. Um, I grew up up North, uh, and, uh, in the area that I grew up, there were lots of farmers, lots of ranchers. Um, and it was a given that you had a firearm right next to the door. And the reason for that wasn't because you were worried about criminals. It was because if you didn't have something that was readily available, predators would come, they would take your livestock, they would take your livelihood, and uh, obviously that's not good. Um, but it imbued in me very, very early the idea that objects and platforms are tools. And it is how the user decides to wield that tool that determines the effect that those things have. And I, I look at the behavior of Matt Wolf, and I look at the behavior of Brian Bateson, and I could probably list off a couple of other ones. Um, and what scares me is that they don't seem to have the respect for the loaded gun that they're holding. Uh, like I said before, right? Um, everybody could use less Twitter. Um, there's no, there's no loss there. And can we, can we get Matt Wolf to use less Twitter? How do we do that? Who do I give money to? <laughs> you can shoot him a message and ask nicely. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, they, uh, they, they run their show the way that they think is best. And, and, uh, if it works for them, it works for them. Okay. Um, I think that kind of wraps up the the broad strokes of the conversation that I wanted to have today. Is there anything else that you wanted to 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 say? Is there anything else that you'd like to, to chat about? Um, well, can't say specifically. I mean, you know, the opportunity to work with the ministers and, and uh, the premier and, and the staff was phenomenal because I got to see firsthand how hard these people work. It is not just my opinion, the public service, um, as soon as the change happened and, and a few months in, the public service staff were saying, like, we're burning out um, because we're working so hard here. They were used to, in, in one office, having meetings starting after 9.30 a.m., and now they were showing up to work, and the minister would be on their second or third meeting of the morning, starting at, at 6 in the morning. Um, when I signed up, I didn't know. There would be days I show up to the legislature at 
5.15 in the morning and I would leave at 1.30 in the morning, like working over 20 hours. Uh, this was unexpected. I mean, I was up for it. I'm, I come from oil and gas and law enforcement background. As, as you know, first responders, like sometimes you do longer than anticipated shifts. But uh, yeah, it's whether people agree or not, and even the public service would say that, whether we, we want the, the UCP in or not, we are seriously impressed by how hard they're working. So that is a, that's the group that's running the province. Uh, they're very hard working. Okay. Um, I would like to, to extend the invitation uh, to have you on the, the, the show again, because I'm sure that there will be no shortage of contentious issues. Uh, and as, as, as I, I enjoyed today's conversation, uh, I, I definitely disagree with some of your points and I think you probably disagree with some of mine and that's okay. That's but that's how it should be. fundamentally, I think that it's one of the things that Albertans need to do better, uh, is learn to have conversations where we can disagree with people and not have it end with, and I'm going to try to burn your house down now. Um, because it's, it's that polarized uh, unwillingness to engage in conversation that I think is doing uh, a lot of harm. And if, if there's, if, I think that we need, to, we need to demonstrate as much as we can that uh, we can have conversations with people with whom we disagree on some things uh, and, and return to have more conversations. How boring would this world be if everybody agreed on everything all the time? I could go with boring. I'm I'm so I'm I'm so ready for boring. <laughs> <laughs> I like some, some, somebody asked me a little while ago, what did you what did you do before you, you you the show started up and before you got involved in politics? And I vaguely remember playing guitar and I would love to be able to do that again. Um, so I would I would I I would be down for some boring. <laughs> And play the guitar, I'll play the saxophone. There we go. Um, thank you so much for, for being willing to make the time to talk about things. Uh, and if you do ever get a line on, on how we can get Matt Wolf to stop being Matt Wolf, I, I, I will crowdfund that. What if I wanted him to do more? I don't want that. I, I don't, that's not good for anybody. Well, if he does more, better. I, I will say that if, if, if I would love nothing more than to not look at Matt Wolf's Twitter, Twitter stream and go, Oh my God, I would love if, if he could do more better. Like I said, I, I more puppy videos and photos. No more, more, more like, here's the thing. If, 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 I mean, here's how I look at it. I'll just make this last point and then I'll let you go. <laughs> When I, go to, when I go to work as a first responder, I have to not, and I'm sure as you as a, a, with your background in law enforcement would agree with this, if I'm wrong, tell me. Um, when you are dealing with somebody who's in a state of crisis or in a state of agitation, the absolute worst thing that you can do is buy into it and respond from a similar place. And I would just like to see the people who are managing communications for the province of Alberta during a pandemic exercise the same judgment and the same restraint that firefighters and paramedics 
uh, and police officers and peace officers and nurses who deal with psychiatric patients, the, the whole list. I would just like to see them exercise the same restraint that people in those professions do every hour of every single day, because right now they are in a lot of ways the the nurses and the the paramedics and the first responders for the problems that our uh, province is facing and I get that they probably didn't anticipate that they were going to be running communications for a government that was dealing with a global pandemic but they are and I would like to see them step up to the plate and if if I will be the first person if, if Matt Wolf can go two weeks without shit posting I will be the first person to give him props and say thank you for doing the job that you're supposed to be doing. He, he's a political staffer, which is a subjective role. And so I don't know if the crowd that doesn't generally support him or the UCP will ever um, support the majority of his tweets. I don't think that'll happen. Well, I can, I can, I can hope. And I can say that, like I said, if, if, if he was to step up to the plate with the same level of professionalism that we see from the frontline individuals who are managing this pandemic, I would be the first to applaud it. Fair enough. And uh, I'll retweet it. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Nate. And that's it for this episode of The Breakdown. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here, please consider signing up to be a supporter on our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. If you're listening to this episode as the audio-only podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and a review because that helps us get the podcast in front of more people. And finally, if you aren't already, please follow us on all of the social media platforms, all at at the breakdown ab thank you